Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. The early sown spring crops are starting to emerge in the past few days, despite the cool conditions. Even though the weather isn't great at the moment, planning for the next actions for these crops can begin so that when conditions are suitable, these jobs can be completed without delay. Spring barley is Ireland's largest single cereal crop and is the backbone of production on many farms. Malting barley is a large part of this and the malting industry will require close to half of the spring barley requirements this year. Management of the crop is critical to ensure the barley meets the specs and attains the bonuses on offer. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Own Lines, the Chagas Boer Malt Joint Programme Advisor, to discuss all things malt and barley and how management decisions over the next few weeks are critical to achieving these specs. Owen, when did the spring malt and barley drilling commence and have any of those crops emerged yet? Look, I suppose at this stage, I would say that the vast amount of spring malt and barley has now been drilled. Um, and really, you know, there's been exceptional weather conditions um, over the past maybe two weeks or even a bit longer to, to get them crops drilled. Um, so look, I suppose the very first drill crops did start back at the beginning of February uh, when some growers on on the very free draining land, you know, they took that opportunity then to, to drill um, to drill the crops during that expel of exceptional dry weather for the time of year. But look, I suppose for the most part, um, drilling started in around the 18th, 19th of March, um, with drilling taking place really all the way up to the end of March, uh, depending on soil types and conditions. But I suppose, look, many growers, they were reporting um, along the way that although there was excellent drying, uh, drying weather conditions, you know, seabeds did take time to dry out properly before drilling uh, could take place. And before I came on, um, I, I just took a look at the, the rainfall for Oak Park um, for February and March. And it was actually 141 mil fell um, in them two months. But I suppose really the majority of that rain fell in, in the second two weeks of February and the first two weeks of March. So there was a significant amount of rain that fell um, before the commencement of drilling. So that, as I said, that did lead to, to um, seabeds taking taking the time to sow before drilling put their place. So really, you know, growers were thankful to get them 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 go drying conditions in the March to make sure that that seabeds were excellent. Um, it's always a bit of a trap on that that, that farmers um, can can fall into that you know that there's an awful lot of wet weather as you say nearly a month of wet weather, then it takes up and 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 the ground dries out relatively quickly and the temptation is often there to kind of get in and get the crop drilled. Do you think um, that people were tempted in those situations? And I suppose really what I'm thinking about here is that they may well have been in a little bit early uh, and it can often happen that it's a bit wet underneath. You know, once you go down two or three inches, it's it's a bit puddingy and um, a little bit of damage can be done. Do you think that, that that happened this year or were people, farmers, a little bit better, a bit, a bit wiser to it this year? No, I, I don't think for the most part that it did happen this year. And, and definitely I know what you're saying because I would have seen in other years and, and I often tell farmers that, you know, when it comes to malt and barley, many growers want to get the crop in earlier for obvious reasons to try and keep the protein level down. But oftentimes what I'd say is, you know, look at your seabed rather than, than the date uh, and go by that. But I think just the way the weather conditions came this year and you know, the promise was there for, for a good long dry spell that there was no rush in. Um, to seabeds and, and thankfully 
they could dry out properly and, and get good soil condition before before the drills started rolling fields. Okay, so I just noticed a couple of a uh, few fields close by here, and um, they are starting to peep over the ground. But you mentioned some of the earlier planted crops. Um, any idea where the plant establishment is is like in those crops? Yeah. So yeah, look, the first emerging crops that that were sown around the eighteen ninety to March, they are um, they are coming up now. But I suppose they did they did take the two weeks to emerge. Um, and really, you know, that first week post drilling, I suppose it was exceptionally warm. But since then, you know, it has been below average temperatures and really some very cold nights, you know, down as low as minus four in, in some uh, in some cases. So that probably definitely has slowed down progress a bit. Um, but I suppose looking how they're looking now, I would say for the most part, emergence really has been excellent. Um, they've, they've certainly benefited from from maybe that bit of rainfall over the past few days um and because seabeds had dried out a bit but i suppose look them cooler temperatures are, are holding them back um a bit but just to give an example i i, I just was in a crop in kenny before i came on michael uh just to see how it was progressing um so just to give that an example i suppose the crop in question was a crop of planet um spring malt and barley that was drilled on march 18th at 180 kilograms a hectare and so the, the plant count carried out on that we saw that there was 305 plants per meter squared. So we're, we're above our, our target plant population for where we'd like to be. And that really relates to a 93% establishment rate. So if we take it, we're, we're aiming for 85 and, and we got 93. So I would say a lot of crops, uh, so on that are emerging now are, are kind of in that bracket. So really an excellent result. I suppose it might have helped uh, Owen that seed was big and bold this year. The thousand grain weights were quite, um, quite large and, you know, I suppose uh, ideally growers should have been putting in maybe more in terms of weight, if you know what I mean, 180, 190 kilos per hectare rather than maybe other years might have been closer to 150. Do you think that, do you think that helped uh, in, in the um, better establishment? Yeah, absolutely. And it was something we, before drilling there that we were, we were trying to make growers aware of that. Um, just take Planet as an example. There was some 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 big ranges in in thousand grain weight all the way from from fifty two up to sixty. Um, so really, you know, sort of averaging maybe fifty four, fifty five. So definitely, it has helped establishment. But you know, I think I think growers are very aware to try and get their seeding rate right based on the thousand grain weight of the seed that, that they were sowing. Okay, so it's always the I suppose the thing we're trying to get across to farmers is the uh, the fact that um, if you're starting off with the right plant count in the first place, it makes the rest of the season an awful lot easier from there on in. Um, Owen, I just want to turn maybe uh, to the um, those crops in terms of management of those from here on in. Um, so are we regarding the majority of crops sown on time or sown early uh, in the context of uh, you know controlling aphids for BYDV spread? Yeah, look, I suppose just look at the at the advice from Chagas in, in relation to aphid control and, and application of insecticides on spring barley. And really, the message that we always say is that, that crops drilled in March and emerging before sort of that mid-April timing generally will, will not require an application of insecticide for aphid control. So look, if, if we look at this year, as I've mentioned previously, the majority of crops were sown in, um, in March and, and will be coming up before that mid-April timing. So really, an application really will not be necessary this year, but you always have to be careful to to uh, to look at maybe exceptions to that rule um, in high pressure situations, such as maybe coastal sites where a lot of spring barley would be grown, that their pressure might be high, um, that an application will be required. 
And really, you know, if an insecticide is, is required um, at that time and you're looking at, at using pre-tried sort of that, that two to four leaf stage of the crop growth or, or growth stage, 13 to 15 to get adequate control of the uh, aphids to prevent BYDV. Look, I think I think it's worth probably saying that again, actually, just in, in, in terms of integrated pest management, in terms of trying to protect um, the chemistry that we have, but also from the point of view of um, how society views us, I suppose, as a, an industry that uses some agrochemicals, that the anaphyside, in a general sense, is not required in spring barley this year. Okay, moving on to the next and probably most expensive kind of input that that, that, uh, that farmers are probably going to go put on this year. And nitrogen, obviously, it's a, still a vital component to growing spring barley. What sort of rates are the optimum rates and, and what's the optimum timing to get that rate on onto spring malt and barley? Yeah, so look, um, Richie Hackett would have carried out a, a number of trials in, in Chagas in Oak Park, looking at different rates on malt and barley. And really, um, what he would have found was that for brewed barley, an application really of 150 kilograms of nitrogen a hectare, which is 120 units an acre, will be sufficient for, for growing crop of brewed barley within the specifications. And really, you look, if we're targeting is distilling barley, um, that rate would reduce down to about 130 kilograms a hectare or 104 uh, units an acre. So look, you know, this is, this, that's kind of the range that we're talking about in relation to our, to our total nitrogen application. So really, you know, many growers will probably have um, put about 40 to 50 kilograms of nitrogen in the seabed at sowing already. So really we are look, now looking at, at applying the remainder uh, in, in one split to bring up to either that 150 kilograms or, or 130, depending on, on either brewing or distilling crop. Okay. Um, the timing of application, you know, really we'd be looking at sort of the one to two, two leaf stage of crop growth to try and get it done early um, and to hope that we get a good response in relation to crop growth while aiming to maintain our, our proteins at, at a lower level. And in terms of the, that timing, does it make any difference uh, whether that um, crop is designed or destined for distilling versus brewing? I don't think so, Michael. I think to try and get the, uh, a good response from the nitrogen applied, really, um, you know, some people might go at that tram lines visible when, when they're just about visible. But I think this year, considering that the crop has got in early, uh, we can probably wait till probably the one or when the second leaf is coming through uh, and then apply our nitrogen. Okay. And, and there was a lot of um, uh, catch crops or, you know, crops growing o- over the, the winter from, from the last main crop to this main crop. Um, to try and mop up some of that free nitrogen, if you like, that was running in the soil rather than having that leaching into some of the rivers. Uh, and some of those crops, given the year that was in it, were quite big, I think, uh, Owen. Do, do you think or, or how much of an influence should that have on the overall rate of nitrogen the farmer should be putting out? Yeah, so look, we, we, we would have done a lot of work this year in relation to catch crops. Um, and I, I would have gone through that on a, on a few webinars that we did um, in the early spring. But look, I suppose in reality, a catch crop um, can bring nitrogen to the system, but maybe not a major amount of nitrogen for the following crop. Um, so just to give, give a quick example um, of a few of the catch crops that, that we actually tested this year. So we were finding like catch crops that were very good this year and really a very good catch crop that was sown maybe mid-August after spring barley. It had taken up in the region of to 40 to 50 kilos um, of nitrogen to the hectare. Um, so that's the part of nitrogen that was stored in the crop and maybe potentially be available for the following malt and barley crop. But really, 
you know, the amount of nitrogen that can really be recovered by the, by the cash crop, the following uh, spring barley crop is somewhere in the region of, of zero to 40% um, of that total. So really it, it's a big range. Um, and really there's a number of factors that kind of influence that depending on when the catch crop might have been um, terminated or when, if the catch crop had been grazed and, and, and so on and so forth. So I just give an example here. So if, if we had a catch crop, um, where we'll give say an average of 45 kilograms nitrogen a hectare to taken up, we're saying that maybe it was only terminated maybe within three, four weeks of, um, of the spring barley crop being sown. So we'd hope there that we'd maybe recover 20% of the nitrogen that's in that crop. So that really only equates to nine kilograms nitrogen a hectare that will be available to the following spring barley crop. So there is that potential to reduce by that much, but in reality, that's not a, a large amount of nitrogen. Um, so really decreasing nitrogen off the rates, the optimum rates I've already discussed based on a catch crop uh, being, being sown in the field prior to the spring barley crop, I think you'd have to be very cautious about doing that. Um, and really, if, if you are going to reduce, it would have to be by a small amount. I suppose on one side of that, Owen, it's, it's pretty disappointing in the fact that all that work and you're only getting, you know, nine or 10 kilos of nitrogen potentially back out of it, yeah. um, which is disappointing on one side. But obviously, when you're talking about being able to capture 40 kilos, um, that's going into the soil, into the system somewhere. So you, would, you a farmer, I would hope a farmer would, would think that uh, there will be an advantage somewhere down along the line if it continues to do that year on year. Uh, and, and to me, I suppose, maybe the other disappointing part, certainly from a farmer's point of view, in terms of cost this year, would be kind of going, well, it was a big crop of stuff. I really would have liked to reduce my nitrogen further because of the flipping cost of it. It's, it's, it's just a horrendous cost. And given that, do you think that um, farmers should be reducing their overall nitrogen given the cost of it um, and still be able to grow and, and, and deliver the specs of malt and barley that's required? Well, look, I suppose the, sh- the short answer to that question, Michael, is no. Um, and the reason being really is because, you know, as I discussed already, the total nitrogen applied to the malt and barley it's already at a reduced rate compared to say a, a crop of feeding spring barley. So really reducing that rate any further, it could compromise um, on, on the yield potential and also maybe achieving um, the desired grain protein through, through the dilution effect. Um, and then I suppose just to further add to that, you know, it's also important to remember that malt and barley, it is a premium crop, it's a premium product and carries a premium price. Um, and and as 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 all mall growers know, you know it's, it's going to be worth more than than uh, what your feed crop is. So really, to just it, it really doesn't economically justify to reduce the end rate because it is a premium crop. Even though, as we see, the the, the price of nitrogen has has gone up even further. Um, you know, it's still economically viable to to stick to the rates that I, that I discussed in, in the previous question. Um, and I suppose just quickly, maybe on P and K, I know many growers will probably have their P and K applied and, and especially their P has probably gone into the seabed, but there would be some growers that, that may be coming back with a bit of, uh, of uh, potash um, by itself just to, just to top up the rate. And really just to remember on that, that our message this year is that to apply crop offtake um, in relation to your, to your K application in order to, to try and maximize yield. So what I mean by crop offtake really is that if you have a spring barley crop that's yielding 
um, so on average, maybe three tonne to the acre. Um, in order to, to match the offtake of that, we need to apply 85 kilograms of K to the hectare, which weighs to about 68 units. So it's just, if you, if you do have potash to top up on the crop, it's just important to, to remember that. Yeah, so I suppose it's really, it's not all about nitrogen either. There's all the other elements that are in there that, that, that all combine together to, to give excellent yield. And thinking about that, I suppose some of the micronutrients um, on the likes of manganese or magnesium, how important are, is that to spring barley? And, you know, if, if a, a farmer, either from previous experience or figures out that a field that, that, that a farm in this year is um, low in those trace elements, when should or when's the best time to apply those? Yeah, look, I suppose the importance of micronutrients, firstly, um, if they're deficient in the soil and, and the, the crop needs them, they're, they're very important. Um, if the crop doesn't need them, they're not important. I suppose that's that's the simple answer to the question. But if you if you think you might have a question or a, a, an issue with micronutrients, I suppose the first place to look is your most recent soil samples and see if, if there's an issue coming through there. And as you said correctly, maybe the, the field history, if you, if you had history of it in the field before, um, and, and try to control accordingly. Um, but I suppose the micronutrient deficiency that I'd see popping up mostly, I suppose, in spring barley would be manganese. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll see some cases of it in, in all crops uh, most years, um, going around looking at crops in different areas. And really, look, there are a number, I suppose, risk factors that can trigger manganese deficiency in crops. Um, you know, things like maybe poor seabeds, loose seabeds, a low soil temperature, dry conditions or even drought conditions um, and also on them high pH soils that, that, that many growers in, in the Midlands will know uh, quite well. Um, so really looking at the growing season so far and just this year, you know, seabeds have been excellent. As I said, they've been well consolidated both pre and post drilling. So I can't see any issues popping up in relation to maybe nutrient, uh, micronutrient deficiencies from that point of view. But, you know, there's still a long way to go, obviously, in the growing season. So we, we could see, you know, these lower temperatures continuing and, and drought scenario. Um, so, you know, that, that could bring forward issues there. Um, and obviously, if you're on them high pH, pH soils, there's going to be a certain amount of lockup um, in relation to, to, to micronutrients as well. So, you know, growers will, will, will have to apply uh, micronutrients to these type of soils. And, you know, if treatment is required, I suppose an early treatment is best to train uh, as a preventative measure for a lot of these. And really, there's there's a number of products on the market uh, that can be used. Um, so really, you know, it's it's treatment early in the growing season. And if, if you think you might have to come back, then again, you, you might put it in maybe at, at mid-tiller and with the first fungicide as well. Um, but it would have to be a, a severe case um, of deficiency if, if you had to go with two applications. Okay, so so the key thing, thing I suppose, if I'm to pick you up properly, is to is to do a bit of planning, dig out your soil analysis uh, results, and the chances are you're going to get a good indication of what the soil is is low in. And um, I think my understanding would be is that um, if it was low ten years ago, the chances are it's low today. So yeah, um, you know, it's it, it's something that's going to be with you for 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 a long time, and it's it's, it's it, for the most part. It's not overly easy to correct those um, for, for the most part, but maybe it can be done with the likes of magnesium. Um, oh, and I just want to want to touch very, very briefly on um, some of the other um, jobs that a farmer might be doing in the next three weeks um, around kind of weed control um, in trying to terms in terms of trying to marry up the broadleaf weed control and maybe the wild oat weed control. What's the best thinking as regards that if a farmer has and he knows and that that, that farmer knows. 
um, that there's quite a big uh, population of wild oats in the farm? Yeah, look, I suppose in relation to wild oats, um, for, most, for many spring barley growers, it's going to be an issue in, in, in many fields and we need control. And really, um, there's a few different options uh, in relation to, to wild oat control in spring barley. And as you said, trying to tie it in with, with your broadleaf um, um, herbicide also. So look, if we focus on maybe just Axial Pro, maybe because that's maybe the most popular herbicide that people will use. Um, and look, I just looked at it, it has an application timing of between growth stage 11 and 39. So there is, it's a broad range of when we can, we can actually apply the herbicide to the crop uh, for the wild oats. And really there's sort of three different timings that I would see that many growers kind of operate in relation to wild oat control. Um, so over the past few years, I suppose many growers there's kind of a shift maybe applying the Axial Pro early, maybe at the two to three leaf stage of crop growth. Um, and I suppose this kind of timing has benefits in relation to you're kind of getting the wild oat at an early stage when it's, it's easier to kill. But the only thing is to, to, be, to be sure that the wild oats are, are there, that they've emerged when you're, when you're applying it uh, to the crop. Um, and I suppose if you're spraying at this stage, you can also go maybe with a slightly lower rate, maybe the 0.5 litre hectare rate. Um, and that will be sufficient for control. I suppose the, sec the second way or second approach is to try and apply the axial along with your broad leaf herbicide, maybe at the, the four leaf stage or to start tillering. Um, and I suppose the benefit here is you're ensuring that, that all the wild oats are, they have been um, emerged and they're there in the crop. But you do run the risk, and I've seen a lot of crops get quite stressed when it's when you put your axial in with your broadleaf herbicide. It can be quite stressful on the crop, and it might set the crop back that bit, especially if the weather conditions are maybe unfavorable at that timing. So, if you are putting in along with your broadleaf herbicide at the start of tillering, I would be ensuring that there's three to four good growth days um, pre-application and the same post-application, just to try and avoid that stress on the crop. Um, but it's important that if you're mixing the axial with a sulfonylurea with an SU herbicide, that you have to go with that 0.6 to litre hectare rate of axial pro. Um, so just, just to keep that in mind. Um, and I suppose the finally then just what, what, what people or farmers might go with in relation to, uh, to, to the axial pro um, would be to put it in at mid-tillering along with the first fungicide. And you know, the crop at this stage, I suppose it has grown on a bit um, and it, it might take some of the stress um, out of the crop applying at this stage. But what I've seen more and more often is that the wild, you might control the main stem of the wild oat, but the tillers are left uncontrolled and these come up then through the crop later on the season and you don't get full control of the wild oats. So I'd be, I'd be steering away towards that, that last timing and, and trying to get it in maybe um, the first two that I discussed. Um, and I suppose just, just one other point, Michael, in, in relation to maybe mixing the, 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 the wild oat herbicide, your axial pro with a hormonal based insecticide is just to look at the intervals that are needed between, um, between application, um, of your axial pro and your hormonal based herbicide. So if the, if the axial is applied first, we need to have an interval of seven days before applying a hormonal based herbicide. And if the hormonal is applied first, you need to leave 21 days uh, before applying the, the axial pro. So that's just something to, to be aware of and also not to mix the two in the tanks. They cannot be mixed. 
Okay. So the key, the key thing there from what I'm getting from you there is that, um, you know, you, you, the chances are the farmer's going to know, know the field where the wild oats are and target them early. And if you go early, you're going to, um, the farmer will get probably the best results for the lowest cost. Yeah. To get you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, look, before you go, I just want to have one, a, a, a real quick word around uh, malt and barley. There is, it's not the biggest crop out there. Winter malt and barley, I should say. It's not the biggest crop out there, but look, there's some of it out there. H- how are those crops looking out there at the moment? Yeah, look, I suppose most crops are looking well, um, as most winter crops are. And, you know, typically from the crops I've been in, we're looking at maybe about 800 to 950 shoots per meter squared, which, you know, for, for other winter barleys might be a bit low, but for, for the winter malt, um, it's probably above average based on, on the data that, that we've seen over the past maybe three to four years of, of growing the crop in the country. Um, I suppose in relation to nitrogen on these crops, most crops now will have they'll probably have received their, their full allocation of nitrogen and really based on, on the trial work that we have to date in relation to winter malt we're kind of looking at 160 kilograms of nitrogen a hectare total on them or that base about 128 units of nitrogen a hectare so we are I suppose a good bit less um, in relation to your total nitrogen application compared to, to a feed barley uh, on them. And in terms of having that on, just in case people haven't got 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 all the that nitrogen on, should all be on by what growth stage? Yeah, growth stage thirty-two, Michael. We'd like to have all the all that that nitrogen applied, but um, you know, because we're on that that lower type of application rate compared to a feed barley, um, you know that 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 main split probably wouldn't have been split into two. It probably would have just all went on in in, in one go, and that I'd say for the most part has been applied. And uh, what sort of growth stages our crops are at at the moment? 32? I suppose, yeah, they're probably 32, maybe the odd one, because a lot of winter malt wasn't so terribly early, um, maybe somewhere at 31, but, but heading for 32. Um, so really, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at now, um, you know, a lot of crops are heading close to get their PGR on. Um, and uh, also along with that to try and get the, the, the T1 fungicide on also. Um, and really just a, a quick note, I suppose, on PGR is that, you know, winter malt, as I said, it's on, it's on, its total nitrogen rate is a little bit less compared to a feed barley. So the total PGR that's required is that bit less compared to, uh, to say, a, a feed barley that might be on a good bit more uh, total nitrogen. So that's just to keep that in mind uh, when, when planning your, your PGR uh, regime for it. And, and and when you say own a little bit less, is that kind of, so let's just say the typical amount of maybe turple might be, I don't know, maybe a litre and a half. Is it, is it, is it half of that or, or what are you thinking? Yeah, I, there, there's a few different, um, a few different approaches that growers are taking. So, you know, some growers might be just going, solely with it with a litre of cycocell um and and some then are just leaving and putting the turple on but i suppose in my opinion i'd be kind of going maybe with that litre of cycocell and 0.2 of modus before growth stage 32 um or at growth stage 32 and that's that's that would be the application rate that i'd be going with and maybe not going with the turple later on whereas you might be on other on other winter berries Okay. And you mentioned disease control there uh, in terms of uh, uh, growers trying to get out and put that on. What is, is there any great disease around at the moment? Is there any panic or rush to get it out? Look, disease levels are low. Um, and, you know, I suppose the cooler temperatures over the past week have, have helped that. But I suppose as these sort of showery type and rain is kind of coming into the weather now, you might see disease taking off in crops. 
Um, I suppose you would have seen a small amount of mildew in uh, in craft earlier on in the year, but it was very much on the lower leaves um, and, and not to be concerned about but craft is, is quite poor on, uh, on, on mildew anyway. But really, you know, to ensure to try and protect the, the new growth coming through on the crop, um, you know, I think we need to try and get out maybe an ASO plus an STHI strop um on the on the crops over the next over the coming days really i'd say um to try and protect that new growth coming through brilliant oh look thanks very much for your time and we're going to touch base with you again through the growing season just to see how all those crops are getting on so look thanks again for your time and uh talk to you shortly okay thanks so that's all we've time for and my thanks to owen for joining me on the podcast today as always if you have a suggestion about a topic you would like to hear more about drop me an email at michael.hennessy at chagas.ie or on Twitter at Chagas Crops. We always want to hear from farmers and people in the industry about what interests you, so please do get in touch. Finally, don't forget, if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back to you next week with more tillage news and advice.